Hello, my name is James Waldron and I'm a Portfolio GP working in Nottingham and the First Five lead for the Vale of Trent faculty. And I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to the GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all of those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help others find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, we'll be discussing dermatology, and I'm really happy to be joined by Dr. Thuvra Muthan, who is a fellow First 5 GP, a GP with special interest in dermatology. He's also known as Dr. Derm, and he's a keen educator in all things skin. Welcome, Dr. Thuva. Great to have you. Hi, James. Thank you. Um, it's uh, great to join you today uh, on this podcast, and hopefully we'll be able to talk a little bit about dermatology and see what I can do to help. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, we're really grateful for, for your time uh, today. Um, so I suppose to start off with, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become a, a GP with interest in dermatology? How did you get into that? That's a very interesting question. Um, I think, you know, I've always uh, liked dermatology for the way, you know, that you get to add in the visual element and the practical hands-on element and it all goes in well. And um, uh, how I ended up in dermatology was uh, when I was doing my training, I happened to um, start up a business doing some aesthetic work and got into that. And then, you know, all of this just tied in really well. Um, and so I was enjoying that. So I thought, let me, you know, venture into dermatology, but a minor surgery. And that's how I've built up uh, what I have at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, it's really exciting um, because I understand you actually run um, or at least a part of a community clinic. Um, what, what sort of things do you see in sort of in general practice dermatology that you might not see in usual de- general practice? Yes. So I, I do work for Medalty Community Dermatology Service, which, um, you know, which serves the all of Birmingham and Black Country area. Now, um, in, in community service, what, the things that we kind of, uh, tend to see are acne, where, you know, patients need Roaccutane, we're able to manage that. Um, eczema, psoriasis that are, you know, not well controlled. Um, hair loss, all sorts of hair, alopecia. Um, warts and barucas that are, you know, not being successfully treated. Fortunately, there's not an awful lot we can do either, but, you know, we have a look and see what we, if there is anything we can um, add to that. Uh, pruritus, um, urticaria, benign lesions, uh, some lesions that are, you know, maybe suspicious, but, you know, in doubt, um, that are not, uh, that, that, that do not meet the fast track criteria. Mm, yeah. Um, pigmentation sometimes, scarring, cyst, ingrown toenails, fungal infections, all sorts really. Well, there are a huge number of things by the sound of it. So a heck of a lot to cover. Um, well, I was wondering if there was anything particular that you might see in your clinic that could be treated a bit better, or that we might manage a bit better in, I suppose, general, general practice. Do you have any tips for us? course of course um you know as we say as generalists we we know a little a little bit about everything and you know it tends it tends to be that gps are actually really good at skin so you know we do a really good job in general practice of managing these things um given that 20 percent of our consultations are skin and hair related um now of course there there are things that are common most common things that we see are acne 
eczema and psoriasis. And I think that's what um, the focus can be in terms of if I was to give you some tips and hints as to how to do a better job at that. So that, you know, uh, one, you have to less refer less patients and two, patients have better outcomes after all. Yeah, well, that, that's brilliant. I mean, I, thinking thinking straight away about um, eczema because we see a huge amount of it and um, and often treated in general practice. I mean, what what sort of things do you tend to see that we could do better in respect to eczema? And um, you know, what what is it that we can really help our patients out with? That's a, again a very good thing there. Yeah, eczema eczema is it tends to be quite a bulk of what we see. Now, uh, we don't do anything special in community dermatology apart from reiterate compliance, 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 because, you know, that's what it comes down to. You know, the doctor can give them all the magical wonder drugs possible, but if they're not using it properly and making the most of the medication is pretty useless. Um, So I really would just take it back to basics in community Mm -hmm. dermatology. Well, the way I do it is I ask them. I put it on themselves. I say, what's your routine? How have you been managing? Because most of these patients, you've got to remember, have been dealing with it for decades plus, if not longer mm. since birth. Yeah. yeah. So routine wise, I mean, what, what sort of routine should they be looking for? What, where do you start with eczema? Taking it back to basics. Yeah. So with eczema, I really just literally, when the day starts, what do you shower with? You know, what, what are you using? You'd be surprised how many people <laughs> with severe eczema are still using soap to wash with in this country. Soap? Yeah, soap. Hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, that is a disaster scent for eczema. It's not really going to help your eczema at all, if not make it worse, in fact. So hmm. that's how, as basic as I go. So I start and literally spell out a routine and figure out what they're doing on a day-to-day basis that could impact their condition. And that may be... Uh, opportunity for us to help improve their condition so that goes back to literally what they wash with and then i asked them you know so your doctor's given you this and this and this how long have you actually used it for how many times have you actually mm. used it for how much have you got left because that yeah. might be an indication as to whether fibbing or telling the truth yeah. as well well that's it i suppose how long does your cetraben last for if it's if it's six months probably could be using some more exactly and <laughs> And then that's what I come on to afterwards. So after you put steroids, what, you know, what emollient do you use? And people are like Nivea, Nivea and they've got severe eczema. Yeah. I'm like, and I know Nivea is not bad at moisturizer, but you've got a medical condition that needs emollients. Yeah. And they're so like, and some of them are like, oh, I might emollient, I might moisturize once or twice a day, doctor. You know, I've got a busy job. I'm like, uh, so I say, you know, if you if your condition is that bad, you need to get through a tub a week. If you're not getting through a tub a week, that's not good enough. Um, yeah. And I I tend to over egg it because we all yeah. know what you say they will dilute down in yeah. practice. And you know, I don't blame them for it. You know, we're the same. We're human beings at the yeah. end of the day. If you're told to do it five times a day, you might do it three times a day. So I tell them to do it five times a day because they will do it three times a day. <laughs> um, that's uh, as practical as I try to get. Yeah, well, that, that I think that's a really good idea. I uh, hadn't thought of uh, kind of over-egging it, saying you're five times a day and hopefully they do it three, because if you say twice, they'll do it at once or every other day. You're right, absolutely, yeah. And you, you, and you, you think about it, these patients have been doing it for 10 years and um, it, it comes back to basic education. Yeah, education super important. And I think, think taking the time, uh, particularly when, when people are younger, so that they kind of get it into their routine. Because, I mean, do you, do you see much complications? Do you see much uh, long-term issues uh, with, with poorly controlled eczema? 
I think, you know, eczema has a huge impact on life, especially if you're mm-hmm. an adolescent or a child that, you know, being at school, you're bullying and all those things. It's mm-hmm. a horrible thing to live through. The psychological impact of skin condition is so huge that there's mm. a new specialty that's developed called psychodermatology, if you, oh, if you believe it or not. <laughs> um, and it's going back to the original point in terms of, um, Emollients, like, like I said, I, I say tell them to do 500 grams a, a week if possible and five times a day. Um, and, you know, I tell them, you know, the steroids that we give you is they're only a temporary plaster. The real treatment is the emollients and your routine. If you get that right, you're going to not going to need the temporary plaster. Uh, you know, the plaster is a plaster. It's not going <laughs> to fix the issue. You need to, mm. if you want to feel better, improve your condition, then you need to manage the condition and your management is emollients because your skin's lost its moisture, you need to replace yeah. that moisture more so than someone who doesn't have eczema. If you don't do that, you're going to have to struggle with this for the rest of your life. And, mm. you know, I, like you said, it has this huge implication, um, especially with lichenification, you know, it, cosmetically, it doesn't look nice, especially mm. when it's around your neck, around your face. And you can imagine if, you know, if it's mm. affecting your areas around your eye, which can sometimes happen, it, you know, you, you can hardly do things on a day-to-day basis uh, if it's that bad. Yeah, no, I can quite imagine. Um, and I think impressing that on people early sounds to, seems to be the key. And particularly this idea of not using soap, because I think that's a, uh, you know, that must must be quite an alien concept to people. What is the, you know, I've heard this before on other talks. What's the particular danger of soap? What's the, what's the issue there? I think, you know, I think the principle is that it's dehydrating, isn't it? What, what, you, what you want, as in washing in itself is dehydrating. So the other thing I hear is some people who come in with showering two to three times a day. Every time you shower, you're losing moisture. So mm. the, the, the act of using an emollient as a substitute is to cancel out that effect. It doesn't make it better. It just cancels out. If you use soap, you're not only sucking moisture out yourself by showering, but the soap also dehydrates yeah. you. So yeah. it makes it much worse. That's my understanding of it anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, brilliant. I mean, so obviously we covered eczema there um, in, in, in quite a bit. Um, what sort of other things do you see? Um, what sort of other things tend to turn up at your door that we could do better at? Um, one of the other things I think uh, is acne. I think, you know, we all mm. know um, dermatological education doesn't really find uh, a footstool in general practice training. Unfortunately, it's not given the due merit it does. If you think about it, mm. 20% of consultations are a thing. Yeah. And acne is another forefront uh, in terms of psychological impact, especially for children who are, you know, teenagers who are having and suffering from acne. Um, so I think that's something that we can improve on uh, for sure yeah, in uh, primary care. Uh, most of the times, most GPs manage them really well. We know topical one topical therapy, if that fails, then on to oral tetracycline for up to three months to see if there's any different. My general principles is that um, I tend to use something called uh, trecline, which has got tretinoin and clindamycin. It's a dual, uh, dual therapy for topically and see if that works in the lightest of acnes, mm. in the mildest of acne. If it's moderate or severe, I tend to str- go straight on to an oral antibiotic. Now there's of course the debate of antibiotic resistant. Is that the right thing to do? Mm, yeah. But it's the balance of psychological impact versus antibiotic resistance uh, there, isn't it? And um, as a rule, we say six to eight weeks is when you should start to see a difference on oral antibiotics. Any less than that is pointless 
you've mm. not given it the time for it to work uh, and you know 12 weeks is probably the mark where you assess as to whether you should continue or refer on to a dermatologist even eight weeks if it's not working yeah. i would consider a referral because mm. then we will consider um either stepping up to roaccutane or another antibiotic to see what can be done um and another useful thing to do is if you do the bloods beforehand for roaccutane which is um your lfts treacherous um uh lipids uh and an fpc and using these as well if you can then that'll be really helpful because mm-hmm. when they come to the first appointment so. we might be able to get them started on uh, sooner rather than later yeah that's really good i mean and again you mentioned this holistic assessment um of of people um with, with long-term skin conditions and acne as well um that's re- really important to help people understand where they're going to be and to prevent some of those long-term complications that they often run into i suppose the third one you mentioned earlier as well is is psoriasis um and I think you see quite a lot of that. How could we be doing better? Well, again, education-wise, how can we be educating our patients better so that they, they get better outcomes? Um, yes, you're absolutely right. Psoriasis, again, is a quite uh, predominant condition in the population, believe it or not. And, you know, I think, you know, GPs are quite good at picking that up. Um, now, the things, the red herrings that you need to obviously watch out for is palm on plantar pastulosis or psoriasis that affects mm. your palms and your feet. Um, that needs an immediate referral uh, to, a demo, to to us or if not the hospital, if it's severe enough, because mm-hmm. we will try some treatments. If they don't work, then they need systemic therapy, which Gosh. can which tends to be only done in secondary care. So we can either assess and then refer on, or you can refer directly on. So that's one of the biggest thing about psoriasis. The other things is to look for subtle signs that um, we tend to do is um, psoriasis can affect behind the ears and you can get nail nail signs. That's a giveaway for psoriasis. Um, And the other thing to remember in psoriasis in terms of tips is that calcipatrol or vitamin D analogs, if there is no scale, will make it worse. Oh, yeah so right. if there is no scale it's better to use just steroids or at least counsel the patient that it's going to get worse before better uh with psoriasis and again uh, with psoriasis it's, it's it's pointless trying to use steroids and all these things trying to treat it if you're not using the emollients not showering <laughs> with the right, right things because it's not going to get better it's not going anywhere back to the emollients super important and, and again I, you know through talking to you this i'm i think i'm going to be stepping up the emollient use and uh, telling people to use it twice as much as they should be to hopefully <laughs> absolutely and the other thing to remember is <clears throat> psoriasis typically you know especially plant psoriasis and things affects harder areas of the uh, thicker uh, thicker skin typically your palms and feet so you need a uh, quite a potent steroid to penetrate that mm. if you know you can either try that so typically i tend to go for betnabate or stronger on the body as long as it's not above the clavicle um or, or, or just refer on to us and we'll consider a stronger steroid um and the caveat i think the other caveat i'll add is be cautious about giving oral steroids to patients with psoriasis because you'll get a rebound flare oh, is that right yeah Gosh. that's something we've learned yeah. not to do in some ways yeah. yeah no i understand do you think that um you know I, I suppose the question that that jumps to mind is do you think that gps treat these conditions sort of vigorously enough before they refer them in um i suppose my first question <clears throat> that's i think <clears throat> i think overall gps we do we, we we're pretty proficient in the way we treat skin condition psoriasis and eczema typically and, um, and acne in most cases as well but of course you know there's always room for improvement um but again like i said the 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 only difference is that i guess 
in my clinic, I get 15 minutes with a patient, whereas in general practice, you only get 10 minutes with a patient. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's not even 10 minutes because you might have to save on that appointment to, because you, you're dealing with a mental health appointment next. So, you know, you have mm -hmm. to be practical about this. Mm -hmm. And um, the only difference, the, the, the big, apart from the stronger treatment, steroids I might consider or treatments I might consider, the only other difference is reiterating the practical lifestyle adaptations mm. uh, and the use and li literally it's it's almost an interrogation not really but you know what I mean <laughs> in terms of what are you actually doing what have you actually used what has actually worked for you yeah. and again understanding what their goals is why do you want to do this why does it make a difference to you because you know if it's if it's affecting their work it's sort of a bit of a motivational interviewing isn't it all yeah. those little tips that we do in general practice which we're very good at I think yeah. that's what makes those difference but unfortunately sometimes we don't have the time in general practice to do all those things so i think um you know if ever you're in question or in doubt of the diagnosis refer and then typically we tend to manage them and get them on the maintenance plan before we discharge back to them and you always have that to refer back to in future if there's subsequent flares that you can just refer back to that plan and so i guess the point of note is if they've seen a dermatologist before have a look at that clinic letter <laughs> and just copy that and yeah. do that if it works then save yourself a referral um yeah. and the patient might be happy as well with that so coming on to psoriasis a commonly encountered issue is figuring out how to use the different creams vitamin d analogs steroids and cycling them and using them effectively for patients do you have any advice for that as we come across quite a lot of different approaches what do you tend to do so I think, you know, you get uh, lichen infections or thick skin in both um, eczema and psoriasis and, the, the, and standard emollients are good, but you might need to then step up to urea containing emollients because they will suck a lot more moisture in. So like Balneum Plus uh, or Flexitol, I think Flexitol is it? Um, those tend to be more moisturizing and can mm -hmm. help um, with skins that are breaking down or skins that are really lichenified. Now, when it comes to psoriatic plaques, what you might then need to consider, for example, in the scalp is um, something like cocois or sebco ointments, mm. which can break it down. And now in the BNF, if you look at it up, it says you can use it daily for seven days and then once a week, but obviously it's really messy. So the patients don't like it, but it's the only thing that's going to break through that scale because however potent storage you put on a scale, it's not going to penetrate. It's not going to do anything yeah, unless, unless you break that scale. And I really do spend that time experience with the patient. And then they're like, okay, fair enough, doctor, that makes sense. So I really do have to break this up. And I'm like, yeah, you do really have to break yeah. it up before we get anywhere. And then they're like, okay, cool. And then they yeah. do that. Um, the other thing, um, a case that I recently had in practice where my boss had a quick look and advised me was um, in patients, you know, who are frail, elderly, living at home by themselves. Um, and, you know, you, you're unsure, even despite that advice, compliance is going to be a case. Keeping it simple. <clears throat> For example, he had he had um, quite bad palmar plantar psoriasis or postulase, if you can call it a lot of scale on his both of his palms and both of his feet extensively covered. Mm. And we just went to a simple diprosalic, you know, it's got, I think it's got benavate and uh, salicylic acid. So salicylic acid will act as uh, uh, to break down that scale mm. uh, a bit more aggressively than urea or emollients or cocois even to. Um, and uh, the benavate will act as the um, steroid to dampen down that, um, uh, I guess, uh, the inflammation. Uh, yeah. in that case um and i guess the other thing to consider for body or trunk one is um enstelar foam foam works better than mm. cream and enstelar foam has got you know the analog 
and the steroid in it. But again, the word of caution there is if it's no scale there, it will make it worse. Yeah. Well, brilliant. I mean, I think there's an awful lot to think about there. And, and the things I'm going to particularly take away from this is the use of emollients and again, trying to break down that scale. And the third thing is educating the patient and thinking about the impact long term, I think is, is the thing I'm going to focus mostly on after this. I mean, one of the things that we I think we, we're going to talk about in, in, in our next conversation for the, for the next podcast um, is about some of the long-term impacts in people um, with um, coloured skin. Um, what Just kind of gives a, a bit of an overview as to why that's important to, to think about that and why you should tune in uh, for the next talk. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. I think, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a topic that's passionate, uh, that I'm passionate about anyway. Um, I think historically the literature and training has always focused on Caucasian skin because, that, you know, that's what uh, is in the textbooks, etc. So I think uh, coloured skin has uh, sort of been dismissed or not studied well enough uh, for mm. us to understand how conditions present how we should be managing them and the consequences and the complications that occur in that colored skin. And unfortunately, as we know, mixed race is the ethnicity that's growing the fastest mm. across the world. And so we're going to have to take care of this population. And I think mm. within metropolitan population we have across the UK now with, you know, with a diverse society that we have, it's yeah. important that we address this inequality because it is what it is. It's an inequality and it's only getting worse and we have to pay it due attention to address that. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to shed some light on that. Brilliant, and and I understand you have the uh, the the Black Country Skin Club, um, which uh, which which um, you do education events for, um, and I think maybe we can link some of that in in, in the in the information surrounding this. Yes, that's right. Black Country Skin Club is something I've um, hopefully set up for to help educate our colleagues in primary care and community yeah. dermatology and secondary care to bring us all together to learn about dermatology. Because the only way forward is, I mean, we all know we have to do CPD for appraisals anyway, right? So why not do it over a fun networking event where we get to meet? So we're going to do that um, last Wednesday of every every month, uh, one face to face and then one virtual. So everyone across the country is welcome to join. So Google Black Country Skin Club and you'll be finding the link to join. Brilliant. Well, I mean, thank you so much. Uh, thank you very so much, Deva. And um, and I'm really looking forward to our, the second of our talks, um, which is going to be on um, dermatology in, in skin of colour. Um, and so you should be able to find that uh, very soon. Um, so I think that's all we've got time for today. Um, but hope you can join us the next time around. Thank you very much, Dr. Muthan. Um, and hopefully uh, see you at the next podcast. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Waldron. Cheers. Appreciate that. Cheers. So thank you all for listening. We hope you found this podcast helpful. Please do have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com and we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care.